Well, good morning, New Hope. My name is John Foley, Associate Pastor of Discipleship with New Hope, and I just want to congratulate you for getting here on time with Daylight Savings. I know it's a lot easier with smartphones, right? But I remember years back, uh, my son Josh was just a little baby, and we were going to church right down the right down the block in South Minneapolis, and we got to church. I said, that's kind of funny. They switched things up today, the end of the service at the beginning. Well, we had missed daylight savings, so you're better, you're better than Pastor John, so, so good job, good job. Well, many people don't pay attention to, to 1%. A 1% sale doesn't turn heads, right? I mean, 1% isn't sexy. It, it gets little attention, but, but 1% can make a huge difference. If you decrease uh, your mortgage interest rate by 1% over 30 years on a $200,000 house with a $160,000 mortgage, you'd decrease your monthly payment $100. And over 30 years, that's $30,000. What could you do with $30,000 in retirement, folks? Well, you could buy 7,334 medium Dairy Queen blizzards. You could play 883 rounds of golf with a cart. Maybe not at Purple Hawk. I don't know. Uh, you, could, you could buy 504,000 yards of medium weight yarn. And that makes 504 sweaters, depending on your dad bod gut size. You could travel around the world. You could start 90 churches in Nepal. You could feed 136,363 children. You could provide 1,250 people with clean drinking water. Or you could just give a love gift to Pastor Eric. I worked in a small African-American church in Pasadena, California. We'd have these envelopes in the chairs, love gift. That was for the pastor. So you just think about that, you know, when you save up that $30,000. Well, in the Old Testament, we see this amazing truth in the story of Zerubbabel. In Zechariah 4.10, it says, don't despise small beginnings. Zerubbabel is an influential political, religious leader in Israel. When when the Jews were let out of captivity in Babylon and going back to their homeland. In 587 BC, Babylon destroyed the the, uh, Jewish temple and the community. And for 50 years, it was known as a dung heap. And then Persia overthrew the Babylonians, and the king of Persia assigned Zerubbabel to go back to govern over Judah and to rebuild the temple. But it wasn't this exciting homecoming. I don't know if you have exciting homecomings. This was not an exciting homecoming. It was, it was crushing because they found Judah was a wilderness. The holy city was a wasteland. Corruption was everywhere, even among the priesthood. And the descendants who had escaped captivity who were there were, were really skeptical of their Jewish brothers and sisters coming back, thinking they would take over previous land. Well, we all know what it's like to be up against a big project, a, a big change in our life. And we feel it's overwhelming. You know the feeling when you stare at the little in your hands and feel there's no way that it's enough. But here's what God spoke 
over Zerubbabel. Follow along as I read this passage. So he said to me, this is what the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you, who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. One percent can mean a lot. One percent makes a difference. So what would it look like for our church to live 1% more generously? Here's the big idea. The big idea today, church. Don't despise small beginnings. Trust whatever you have with God, even 1%, and watch him do big things. So in order to step into this generosity of 1%, we need to know a couple things. First of all, God's work will be accomplished by God's Spirit. There's this line in that scripture, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. It's the, it's the phrase of a, of a great uh, old worship song by Robin Mark, an Irish worship leader. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. There's so much in that. And it's hard for us to grasp a hold of that. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by any human, any national power. It's by the Spirit of God that things get done. One of my mentors and spiritual fathers, I'll see him this week at the ministry he started. Um, Arthur Rauner was the well-known pastor of Colonial Church of Edina in the 1970s. And he was one of the most respected pastors in the Twin Cities. Even my dad, as a pastor, when he would have a Sunday off, we'd often travel from Burnsville to Edina to hear this great orator, this great preacher, preach the word of God. And the Spirit of God was, was moving upon Arthur Rauner, he, he was being led by the Spirit to live more and more, not by might or by power, but by the Spirit. But you know what? That got kind of scary for the church. Because sometimes we don't want to let control back to God, even in church. Sometimes we've got everything so planned out that we don't want Jesus coming through the doors. And this got scary to the church. And he started organizing massive drives of support and funding when there was great famine in the East uh, horn of Africa, and he pooled all the churches together to send resources and help to the famine in Africa. And the church didn't like the Spirit of God moving on him. It was kind of scary. It was out of control. And so they fired him. Well, he would later see that this was God's sovereign hand, God's blessing to him. Because when the genocide happened in Rwanda, World Vision came to him and his wife, Molly, and asked them to go to do simple prayer retreats, something that they could do to bring healing to this land of such devastation. And they, the Holy Spirit gave them a simple 
prayer retreat model. And they brought Hutus and Tutsis, bitter enemies, together over a weekend. And the Spirit of God melted hearts, healed, reconciled these people. This ministry has gone on. In fact, we have done a couple of their retreats the last couple Augusts. We've done the Heart of Reconciliation retreats. Some of you have come to those and experienced great healing in your heart. We so want to control things, but living generously helps us step out and trust God. I heard a great quote this week uh, from a law enforcement official. He said, if you want to control traffic, get a badge. Well, that, uh, you know, you don't have to be Minnesota nice or Minnesota passive aggressive nice, right? To like go slow in the left hand passing lane, right? Why do we, why do people do that? Because they're, oh, I can't say that in church. Um, Life is tough. It's frustrating. We can't control things outside of our control. We're created to worship God, to trust him to follow him in working out his plans for his beloved creation. In Bernie May's book, uh, Learning to Trust, the Mazatec Indians in southwestern Mexico have an interesting way of living. For instance, the people seldom wish someone well. Not only that, they're hesitant to teach one another or to share. If you say, who taught you to bake bread? The village baker answers, I just know meaning that he acquired the knowledge without anyone's help. And this odd behavior stems from the Indian's concept of limited good. They believe that there is only so much good, so much knowledge, so much love to go around. So to teach others means that you might drain yourself of knowledge. To love a second child means you might love the first child less. It means that you've just given away If you say, have a good day, you've given away uh, your limited good of happiness, which cannot be required. And we think, well, that's a silly way to live, right? But how about us? Do we live by the belief of limited good? Do we live with a mentality of scarcity or a mentality of... Of abundance. A mentality of scarcity says, ah, we barely have enough. I don't have much in my hands, and I got to keep or I'll lose it, and I won't have enough. But a mentality of abundance says we know God, and we trust God who says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in glory. Here's the truth, church. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision and power. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision and power. Are you trying to do God's will by your power? You really want to follow. You want God's best, but will you do it in his way? Too often we rely on our strength our timing, our provision, rather than trusting God. But we can start by giving, by stepping out in little ways and trusting God's spirit to lead the way. So first of all, God's work will be accomplished by God's spirit. And secondly, God's work must not be despised 
for its small beginnings. It said again, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The mighty mountain is a metaphor to the obstacles and difficulties of those rebuilding the temple. If we're walking in God's way, by God's spirit, nothing, no mountain, no obstacle can hinder us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper if we're following God's will in God's way. I get to do a little construction. I get to be a little John O.J. wannabe uh, on, my, on my days off. And this week, I was doing a new build on a house in, in Prior Lake. And it brought me back to years ago when I was between ministry. It was the first time I worked on a house was in Prior Lake. And they had me doing some blocking, which means that you, if you're having some main support, some main beam, right, some main header, you need to have that support carry all the way through the walls, all the way to the foundation. So in this passage, we see that Zerubbabel is the one who, he did the cornerstone, the very foundation of the building, but he also does the capstone, the, the stone that tops it all off, the top plate, the capstone. And he has got God's, his hands have done this, his hands have done that. God is saying, my hand is on you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. This mighty mountain will be level ground. My hand is on you. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't worry about mountains or obstacles in your path. Seek God. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all things will be added. Last week, I got to go, I got to take my mom back to our home church in Burnsville for, it was my fourth grade Sunday school's teacher's funeral. And so I got to see all the the old friends, all the people that used to call me Johnny Foley running around the church. It was this beautiful picture after the funeral in the church basement having a lunch, and all these women were gathered around my mom to show their love to my mom. You see, my dad and my mom served that church for 33 years. The next day in prayer, I had this image of Jesus at that table and all these people coming around. When I was five, we left Southern California in 1971 to go to this little church in Burnsville, Faith Covenant. I don't know what my dad was thinking, leaving sunny California for the winter wonderland, right, of Minnesota. And the the denomination said, we're going to give you one year, this small little church, to turn it around. We're going to close the doors if if it doesn't grow. By God's grace, the small beginnings of that church in the 1980s, became the second largest covenant church in the world. Bram, I want to tell you, don't despise small beginnings. If God is in this, and we seek God, 
and we surrender our hearts and our lives to him, he will bless it. Not by might, not by what it looks like to human eyes, but by the spirit of God. Don't despise small beginnings. Seek God's way. Don't despise small beginnings. Trust whatever you have with God, even 1%, and watch him do big things. I love God's math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Don't look at it from the human perspective. Look to him. Look to his word. Look to his spirit. So what are ways that we can be trusting God with whatever we have, even 1%? How can New Hope grow in generosity, even by 1%? Three ways. Welcoming. Glenn Madison, Pastor Bill, told me his, his nickname used to be Mad Dog by his coworkers. They didn't want to go near him. But the Spirit of God transformed this man, transformed this couple. They are welcoming people. I remember when I brought a neighbor to recovery, Glenn was there welcoming them, loving them. Only the Spirit of God can do that. What do you wear on your face? Do you wear a smile or do you wear a frown? What do you have in your belief about others when you approach them? Do you believe that they're like you or is it easy to judge them and and, and be critical of them? Smile at people 1% more. Say hi to people 1% more. Invite one person a year to New Hope. Say hi. Say thank you 1% more to people in stores who serve you. That 1% can make a huge difference by welcoming people. Secondly, by serving. In 1906, the Italian economist Wilfredo Pareto noted that 80% of Italy's land was owned by 20% of the owners. He became somewhat possessed, uh, obsessed with this ratio seen in everything. He noticed that 80% of the peas in his garden were produced from 20% of the pea plants. And that's also true in serving. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I heard... Uh, I heard this week, uh, pit crew, you'll like this. When, whenever someone says in church, you have a servant's heart, they really mean, would you help me stack these chairs after service? <laughs> you have such a servant's heart. But this is Jesus' example, right? This is what Jesus did. He didn't come to be, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many John 13, 14, not that I, your Lord and teacher, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He took 12 men who gave their lives to serving others, and they established a movement called the church, and to serve one another, and to serve the world. Church, if you're not serving, serve once a month. Inside New Hope and outside in the community, what would it look like to increase our serving just 1%, just one little way? Take those I'm in cards. Say, God, what's one little way? Maybe some of you need to stop serving 1% so you can give room for others to serve. We do it by welcoming. We do it by serving. And third, we do it by giving. 
And church, giving like welcoming and serving is a way to step out and to prove our trust in God. When we step out to just do a little more, we see God's amazing provision. We test his promise that his work in his way will never lack his provision and his power. But we have to step out and trust him and to give. Here's an amazing statistic. Now, don't take this in the wrong way. This is just a statistic. Across the world in the church, 50% of people on an average in churches don't give anything. 50% give on an average 2.5% of all that they make. And that's not very different than unbelievers. I think that's a 2.1% to basic nonprofits. What would it look like if we all increased our giving 1%? That's our, that's our challenge. That's our charge, right? Increase your giving. If you're giving, give 1% more. If you're not giving, start by giving 1%. Because 1% can be trusting God to do amazing things. Why do we give? Because it really does make a difference. It really does change lives. It opens the door for the Spirit of God to do his work. It helps us move from a belief of limited good, from our human finite abilities and resource, to the Spirit of God's infinite love, infinite power, and kingdom resources. We're just going to close with a video from a New Hope couple, A.J. and Amanda Wakazo, and, and we were with them. Uh, Eric and Candace led a phenomenal marriage retreat this weekend. And here is this couple. Why, why are we showing this couple? Because your giving changes lives. Your giving changes the destiny of generations. This is why we give generously, church. Check this out. Hi, my name is AJ. This is my wife, Amanda. We've been married for five years. We have three beautiful children. Um, Life before Jesus was, um, I would consider, like, cloudy. Um, There was a lot going on, so I just want to make sure I get it right. I wrote some stuff down. Before Jesus came into my life, I was not a very nice person. I didn't seem to care about other people or their feelings. I didn't always think of it this way, but I felt scared and alone, almost as if I was on autopilot, just living life and not caring about the rest of the world. The turning point for us um, in our lives and our walk with the Lord um, started in 2014. Um, My stepmom, Jody, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So I knew who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. I just never knew who Jesus was, you know. In that same year, we dealt with, uh, we got married. Um, We found out we were pregnant with our second daughter. AJ's uh, parents were going through a really hard addiction. The big part for me was when she would go help her stepmom all the time, and I felt like our relationship didn't exist at all. Um, And then just somebody we knew was going to New Hope and um, told us to come here. And anger. He was really angry with me during that time, Um, and rightfully so, because I was not focused here. When we started coming to New Hope and... um, we, we came thinking, I mean, my thought was like, 
man, I could not be like those people who go to church. Like, that is not me. I am not good enough. Like, walking into New Hope for the first time, I was like, I'm probably never going to come back here. And that was my mindset going in to the doors. Um, and then I go, you go walk in and you're just like, they're just like me. They're everyday people who struggle, who have hard times and it's okay. And God still loves us and you're still important. Yeah. And I have noticed that I'm not the mean, angry person that I was. I don't feel like a bully. Not until actually two years after we started coming. Um, we had a real tragic event in our family. Um, our two nephews passed away and we went down to be with uh, my brother at the time and just seeing the devastation uh, we knew that there is something more um, that that they are in heaven when you see that kind of devastation and you're you're there you just you just know I felt really peaceful when I was when we went down there and the only thing that I could explain that was that God was with me and my family during that chaotic time. And after that, I was like, I'm living for the Lord because he's with me.